Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Inspired Churches podcast. We're a church in Union City that loves Jesus. Our hope is that you'd be inspired to grow in God's Word as reflected in loving Christ more and more every day. So wherever you are, be a light. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspiredchurches.com. How y'all doing? Good morning. One more time. Let's give the Lord praise. Yes. Yes. Good morning. A couple of comments before we get into the word. Number one is I want to say happy birthday to my mother, Mama Patty. Happy birthday. Can we give her a round of applause? Happy birthday, Mama Patty. Love you so, so dearly and just want to recognize you and your beautiful life. And of course, if you weren't here, I wouldn't be here. And so um, you bless this world, mama, with a gift. I'll tell you that much. Um, (laughs) Amen. Amen. Um, Also, today in the church calendar is Pentecost Sunday. And Pentecost Sunday, which is just a commemoration 50 days after Christ's resurrection, the Spirit of God fell on um, the small group of 120 in the upper room, and the Church of Jesus Christ was born. They were emboldened to be witnesses, and, um, and we are part of that spiritual legacy, amen? The church lives and breathes because we are filled with the Spirit, and so uh, today marks that day. Um, one more thing I want to say. Thank you so much for your flexibility um, we know that uh, Alameda County is probably the only county that decided to uh, put their mask mandates back up. And, um, and I know that some of us are frustrated by that. I know that there's a lot of different things, but thank you. Thank you so much for just honoring. And can I just say this? And I told the team today, if there's one church, if there's one church that should understand the value of being able to gather. It should be inspire. We were, we were disembodied for 16 months. And so though inconveniences may exist, it's minor inconveniences to be with one another. Amen. And so thank you so much also for keeping others safe. And um, we believe this is a temporary, um, the numbers, the COVID surge is a bit of a surge right now. I've actually recovered from COVID, praise the Lord. And so um, I just appreciate you guys continue to be flexible and understanding. Um, and yes, there might be other churches out there that are doing different things, but this is what Inspired Church has decided to do. And so this is who we are. And so thank you for honoring that. I appreciate that so, so much from the bottom of my heart. Amen. Well, today is uh, the last uh, installment of our series that we've called Dear Inspire. If you've been with us for any amount of time the past uh, handful of Sundays, you know that we have been going through the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Jesus, uh, through the Apostle Paul, writes letters to the church. And Jesus says to every church, I know your works. I know your works. I am the good shepherd. I am the senior pastor of my churches. And I walk among the churches and I see and I know your works. And it has been a 
fascinating journey. I've been telling folks that this is actually the first time that I've really dived into the letters of Revelation. I've heard them preach in the past, but I've never necessarily for myself. And so it wasn't until I started to preach. So I've been learning and I have been growing as, I, as we have been preaching and teaching. And I hope that it's been edifying. I hope that it's been challenging. And I hope that um, as uh, 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 the word of the Lord is spoken, that it would fall on good soil. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, let's open up to Revelation chapter 3, uh, and we're going to read verses 14 through 22. Revelation chapter 3, we'll have it also for you here on the screen. Revelation chapter 3, your Bibles or your Bible apps, and we are going to read uh, verses 14 through 22, amen? Amen. And you've heard this saying that Jesus, uh, well, maybe not, you've heard just the regular saying this, the best for last. Well, Jesus has saved the worst <laughs> for last this morning. And so praise God that you're here. Um, I don't typically do this, but you maybe you could, you know, look at somebody and let them know this is going to be a seatbelt Sunday. Uh, uh, and if you've been at Inspire, you know what a seatbelt Sunday is. You know, when you're on the airplane, and they say, hey, put the seatbelts on because we're about to have some turbulence. It's going to be a turbulent sermon. Uh, but nonetheless, I believe that um, the Lord wants to speak to Inspire Church. Amen. Amen. Are you ready? Yeah. Amen. Mama Patty's always ready. Is everybody else ready? ready. Amen. Thank you so much. Revelation chapter 3, uh, verse 14 through 22. And the word of the Lord reads like this. And to the angel of the church of Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Wow. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Isn't that a fascinating, after every letter written to each individual church, it usually finishes with the calling, let him who has an ear hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. 
You know what that kind of reveals to me? It reveals to me that these letters are going to be read and some people are going to respond and some people will not. And so this morning, as I preach through this text, let him who has an ear hear. Amen? Can I challenge you? Stay off the phone maybe. You know, those Instagram updates. All the, can I challenge you to be engaged today, those that are in this room? You made it here this morning, right? Like you came all this way. You woke up to be here. And for some of us, I have a fear that church has become obligatory. It's the routine of your life. And, and, and routines are good. Rhythms of life are beautiful. This is a rhythm of life. But sometimes rhythms can become mindless. Sometimes you can find yourself going to church. You can find yourself living in the routine mechanically like a robot, walking out unedified. Let him who has an ear hear this morning. Amen? You're here. Amen? You're here this morning, and so I pray that you would hear the word of the Lord. Now, if you're going to understand what Jesus has to say to this church... You're going to need to know a little something about the city. And and, and in fact, if you've read or been here and you've listened to these letters, typically Jesus says things and what he says, he connects with the city. And so really this church in particular, everything that Jesus said has some sort of connection with what is going on in Laodicea. Now, let me give you some background. And again, I just want to encourage you to stay engaged. This is a powerful message that I believe Inspired Church needs to hear. The Laodicean church or the city of Laodicea was located in the Lycus River Valley. And and, and it was a crossroads city between two major trade routes. This meant that this city was a booming city and people from all over the world would go through this city. And as a result, the economy was booming and this city featured three important industries. This city had three important industries. So stay with me as I explain the industries of this city. Uh, number one, it, it, had, it was a city of financial institu- reputable financial institutions. Number two, it was a city of high fashion. And number three, it was a, a, a city that boasted a world-renowned uh, medical school. Laodicea was very affluent. A lot of money was going through that city. In fact, Laodicea uh, Laodicea was able to print its own coin. And, And it had its own banking institutions that were backed by its own gold. I mean, this was a city. I mean, I want you to think of uh think of California as a state. They they say that California would be one of the largest world economies, right? You think, wow, a state can compete with nations. Well, this city could compete with empires. I mean, this city was affluent. Are you with me? Now, it, it was able to, because it had these financial institutions and because it was able to back this their institutions with gold, they took pride in their wealth. 
They took pride because anytime you have a lot of money, they took a pride in their self-sufficiency. Like they can do things on their own. They don't need anybody's help. And, and this is probably best exemplified because that city had experienced a devastating earthquake. It reminds you of like San Francisco. There's been a few times where San Francisco has been destroyed, right? There's been a few times where an earthquake or even fires throughout the, uh, uh, the city's history has destroyed the city. Well, this city had experienced devastating earthquakes, but they boasted in the fact that Rome offered to give them disaster relief, but they denied it. They told Rome, we have enough money and enough strength to fix it on our own. Laodicea also featured a, a high-end fashion industry. It was really interesting. Due to the minerals, there's a, a particular kind of mineral mix that wasn't really good to drink, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But there was a particular mix of minerals in the water, and so the local sheep that were herded in the area, when they drank from that water, their wool grew differently. In fact, they grew a black purplish kind of wool. And, and, and as a result, because it was rare and it was exclusive to this region, y'all know, if it's rare and exclusive, I got to get those. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like anybody, any sneakerheads in the building, you know that if it's rare and exclusive, that cost shoots way up. And so this city boasted a, 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 a kind of a high fashion industry where wealthy people from all over the world found out, man, there's coats, there's home decor, there are rugs in that city that we can get and we can be the most exclusive. And so uh, regularly wealthy people would travel to that city to purchase the wool that was there amen some of y'all got some designer wool on <laughs> and also the city was known for its uh, uh, medicine its practice of medicine Laodicea was home to a a reputable medical school with a hospital but Laodicea was known for a particular uh, 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 tablet it was called a Phrygian eye ointment and what this eye ointment was like a tablet that you would drop into water and it would kind of dissolve and kind of, it would cake up a little bit. And then what they would do is they would take that and they would rub it on their eyes. And this tablet was known to provide relief to all sorts of eye ailments and irritations. Isn't that interesting? So they were known for their financial institutions. They were known for their high fashion. And they were known for their medicine in particular, their medicine that was their medication that was able to heal eye ailments. Yet, of all of the city's prestige, it had one stain on its resume. The water was putrid. The water was disgusting. See, Laodicea in the valley had little access to clean water sources. So they had to build an elaborate aqueduct system. And they piped in water from other places. Are you guys with me? And so there were two places in particular that they piped in water. Seven miles to the north was Aeropolis. Now, Aeropolis was interesting. Aeropolis was known for its natural hot springs. 
In fact, uh, Aeropolis featured these natural springs that would bubble up with water. In fact, people from around the world would go to Aeropolis, almost like a spa retreat. And they would go for healing and relaxation as they entered into these warm waters. 11 miles to the south was Colossae. Colossae was the opposite of Aeropolis. Colossae featured uh, uh, fresh, cool mountain spring water. And so Laodicea, for all that they had, they had to pipe in water from the outside because they had minimal resources. But here's the problem. When the water was piped in, because of the distance it had to travel, the bubbling hot water would turn lukewarm. And the cold mountain spring water would turn lukewarm. Not only that, but because it had to travel through these ancient aqueduct systems, the mineral mixes combined with the bacteria residue from the pipes would create a terrible taste. Are you with me? And so the problem was by the time the hot waters or the cool waters reached Laodicea, they had become bland stagnant and lukewarm add to that the mineral buildup and bacteria residue and not only was it lukewarm but it was disgusting and this was how jesus described the laodicean church much like the laodicean water the church was tepid and disgusting are you here uh, let him who has the ear hear. Thank you, Jesus. Much like the Laodicean water, the Laodicean church was tepid and disgusting. So much so that it made God want to puke. Can you imagine that? Church, please stay with me. This was probably the most devastating indictment a church could receive. Can you imagine the carrier of the letter coming to Laodicea, maybe on a Sunday like this, and everyone is coming into the church and sitting down, and there's a buzz. We got a letter today. We got a letter, and it's from the Apostle John. And from what we hear, letters have been traveling to different churches. And from what we hear, this is straight from the pen and the heart and the mouth of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine the congregation coming in on a Sunday morning? Can you imagine the letter carrier making his way up to the pulpit, opening up the letter and telling them, Church, you make Jesus sick. Can you imagine what it would feel like if Jesus stood in front of Inspired Church and said, Dear Inspired Church, you nauseate me. Because none of us in this room would ever want our Savior to make such a condemnation against us in our church. It's really critical we learn from Laodicea. Would you agree? So, so what, 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 what did Jesus mean by lukewarm? What does that mean? Four qualities that I have been able to pick up from the text. There's not a lot said about 
Laodicea outside of this scripture, these scriptures. We know they're lukewarm. We know that God spits them out. And we don't know much about what's given here. And so I'm going to try to extract four qualities from this text to describe what it means to be a lukewarm believer or a lukewarm church. Are you with me? I'm going to give you these four qualities up front right now. You could just write them down if you want. But number one, we see self-dependency. This was a church that was self-dependent. Number two, we see self-deception. Number three, we see self-centeredness. And finally, good for nothing. Y'all see that? Y'all see the progression? Self-dependent, self-deception, self-centered, good for nothing. Let's exegete the text for a moment. I want you guys to look with me at verses. Let's look closer at verses 15 and 16 together. What what do we mean by good for nothing? Jesus says this. Are you ready? I wish that you were either hot or what? Cold. But because you are lukewarm, you see this? I will spit you out of my mouth. It's really important. We should probably identify what this is. Because you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, I got to clarify this because if you're anything like me, you might have heard this preached before. And when you've heard this preach, you might have heard maybe some preachers, and and again, nothing against them, but I believe they got it wrong. You might have heard some people say that Jesus was kind of wishing that they were either all in or all out. Y'all see that? Like I've heard some people say, okay, Jesus says, I wish you were hot or you're cold, but you're lukewarm. In other words, like, I I wish that you were either on fire for me, like sold out, fully devoted, or I wish you were an atheist. I want you to know Jesus would never wish that. Y'all hear me? Like he would never say, hey, I wish you didn't follow me. That's not what he's saying. You have to understand the context of Laodicea. I'm I'm dropping everything over here. I'll put that right back there. When he was saying, I wish that you were hot or cold, you want to know what he was saying? He's saying, I wish that you were either like the hot, bubbling up natural springs of Hierapolis. Y'all with me? I wish that you were relaxing and soothing or that you were cold and thirst quenching, but you're neither. Y'all with me? So he's not saying, I wish you were all in or all out. He's saying, I wish you were good for something. I wish you would provide healing or I wish you would provide a, a quenching of thirst, but you are neither. Since they were neither, they were good for nothing. Content, complacent, stagnant, stale, all qualities that nauseated God. And, and, you know, we can only speculate. We're not giving a lot. We're not, y'all understand what I'm saying? Like, we're not giving a lot of detail in this text. We can only speculate how that might have looked. What did it mean to be complacent? What did it mean to be stagnant? How does that play out practically? What does it mean for a church to be lukewarm? Or what does it mean for a, a, a follower of Christ to be lukewarm and in danger of nauseating God? Can we speculate a little bit? Maybe affluence, y'all know what affluence is? Maybe affluence had made them stingy givers and greedy spenders.
They were a good-for-nothing, lukewarm church. Maybe wealth had caused them to seek comfort and convenience. Come on, over service and sacrifice. They were a good-for-nothing, lukewarm church. Maybe status and classism had crept in and drained their compassion for the hurting and their urgency to reach the lost. They were a good-for-nothing, lukewarm church. Maybe they heard the word but didn't do the word. Maybe they sang songs but didn't live songs. Maybe they had small groups, but everybody was fake, accountability partners, but nobody changed. They were a good-for-nothing, lukewarm church. Are you guys hearing me? We move from good-for-nothing to one of the first qualities. Well, why? They were self-dependent. They were self-dependent. Can we exegete the text? Look, look at the text. Let the, te- let the text talk. You see what it says right here? It says, for you say, notice that, you say. These are my words. Jesus is saying, this is what you're saying. You say, notice what they say. I am what? Rich. I have prospered. And I have underlined it here for you. Put those together. And what are they saying? I need nothing. Self-dependency, self-sufficient. I can do it myself. I can handle it. I am wealthy. I am prosperous. I am rich. I need nothing. This is a church that had placed their confidence in their possessions. This is a church that had placed their confidence in their retirement accounts and investments and bank accounts. Y'all with me? This was a church that looked at their financial situation, and that's how they determined whether they were a success or not. Come on. Come on. Come on. Anybody in here feel that? You know, I think this church in, in, in the Lycus River Valley is a little bit like churches in the Silicon Valley. We have a temptation to look at our possessions, to look at our bank account, and to allow that to determine whether we are a success or not. Can I say this? What you put your confidence in becomes your God. And you may say, oh, that's not me, Pastor. But can I tell you this? You know, how I can, you know how I can tell whether someone is self-sufficient and on the verge of being lukewarm? Not by what you say. There's two ways. Look at your budget and your calendar. You want to know what your confidence and trust is? Look at where you spend the most time and look at where you spend the most money. Same thing for a church. A church can say, oh, we're all about winning the lost. We're missional, pastor. The pastor can declare, hey, this is who we are. Look at the church's budget. Look at the church's calendar. You with me? I told y'all to wear seatbelts. That's a heavy one, huh? Open up, you know, he's like, open up your calendars right now. What the next month and the month previous, open up your budgets, right? What are you, where are you spending your time and your money? Let him who has an ear hear what the spirit of the Lord is saying. That's all. What we depend upon becomes our God. Amen. And, and, and for this church in the Lycus River Valley, the accumulation of earth and treasures had caused them to become, to, to, uh, the, the accumulation of earthly wealth had caused them to depend less on Christ and more on their own earning efforts and energies. 
I'm speculating, but this is what the text has given us. Notice he says, I am rich. So they, they have confidence in their wealth. I have prospered. They, they have confidence in their possessions. I need nothing. And so I'm just extracting what I believe would contextualize, not just the Lycus really Valley, the Lycus River Valley, but Silicon Valley. You want to know what's really interesting? As I was reading through commenter, com, uh, you know, just uh, uh, um, different uh, uh, commentators on this and, and commentaries and, and, and other thought leaders and theologians, you, you know what's really fascinating? Uh, uh, many of them remarked that because of our country's wealth, many of them suggest that the churches in America are most tempted to look like Laodicea. And some of you in here probably roll your eyes because you're like, oh, no, I'm poor. You don't know me, pastor. But we have no right to say that. Even the poorest person in this room is you're in the richest 1% in the entire world. Your apartment complex, right, that might seem shady to you, right? The lights maybe don't work sometimes. The air condition isn't always on because you can't spend it. You, you know, even that place that you think, man, I don't have a lot. I don't have a car. I want you to know that your quote-unquote basic lifestyle you are, one, you are a part of the 1% in the entire, you are one of the wealthiest generations to ever walk the face of this planet. Now, I don't mean to trivialize some of us that are here struggling. I get that. But I'm just trying to say, commentators suggest that if there's any churches in any generation that's going to be tempted to look like Laodicea, it's the churches that are in America. Add to that, we don't just live in America, but we live in the wealthiest part of America. California, in particular, the Bay Area, in particular, Silicon Valley, is one of the wealthiest places in the entire world. And I read a stat, and I should look it up in order to quote it. You can ask me later. I can, but I read a stat that in the Bay Area, in the Silicon Valley, is one of the richest places in the world, and we are the least philanthropic. They said people in the Bay make the most and give the least. That a trip? You can see why I came fired up today because we are a church in this place. And as a pastor reading this, I'm like, God forbid Jesus would stand up and say, inspire church. I'm nauseated. Some of y'all, man, I'm going to look for another church next week. I, I just, with everything inside of me, I would be crushed to be the pastor sitting in the front row as the messenger walked up and opened this letter. Amen. Materially wealthy, yet spiritually bankrupt. Uh, can I just talk a little bit about self-dependency for a minute? Can I go on a little tangent here? Uh, self-dependency breeds spiritual arrogance, pride. Can, can I, let me explain this real quick, okay? And, and, and I'm receiving this for myself. Uh, a spiritual maturity is measured in humility, Y'all should write that down or just, yeah. I don't know. We don't take a lot of notes here, but maybe just put it right in your heart. Spiritual maturity is measured in humility. Hmm. The longer you're in Christ, the more aware you should become of your poverty. <laughs> the longer you're in Christ, the more aware you should become of your spiritual poverty and absolute dependency on him. Let me ask you a question. Are, if you didn't hear anything else, let me hear this. Ready? Are you ready for this? Can I, here's the question. 
Are you more desperate for Jesus today than when you first believed? If I'm being honest, can, can I just, I don't know. I, I, when I was writing this, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, gosh, am I, would you spit me out, God? Are you more desperate for Jesus today than you were than you, when you first met him? Or have you, have you, you know, have you got, you know, that was when I was a baby Christian, right? It's really weird how it works. I don't know about you, but sometimes we can fall into a culture where we think mature Christianity is someone who walks in refined and dignified. And all you're honest, you're no longer honest. You're no longer transparent. Y'all with me? Spiritual maturity should be marked by more passion, not less. More repentance, not less. More honesty, confession, accountability, generosity, community. More, not less. I mean, when you think, if I progress as a Christian, I shouldn't be walking up a corporate ladder. I should be going down low. Yet, in Laodicea, the opposite was true. The longer they were, quote, unquote, in Christ, they were becoming more proud, more independent, more self-sufficient, more confident, more distracted from their need for Jesus Christ. Got to move on. Got to move on. We go from self-dependence to self-deception. You got to be self-deceived, right? Like this, this congregation has had to be buying into a lie. There's no way they're like, oh, yeah, we nauseate Jesus, right? Like, nobody would want to nauseate Jesus. Nobody would want to be a Luke. You wouldn't wear that title of lukewarm. So you had to be deceived. You had to be deceived. You had to be telling yourself some kind of lie. You had to be believing something. You had to, maybe you're not in your word, but in order for you to actually sit in a tepid place, you have to fool yourself. Don't you? And nobody like willingly comes to church and, and calls themselves a member of a body, yet willingly wants to be nauseating God. Wow. You have to deceive yourself. Wow. You have to be in deception. You have to think at some level everything's okay. Or, or, or how about this one? God knows. He knows my heart. He knows I really love him. <laughs> y- y'all with me? Yeah. Look, at verse, look at verse 17. Look at verse 17. Notice in the first part of verse 17, we would say 17a, which I just read. He says, for you say, remember that? He says, you say, I am what? Rich, prosperous, I don't need anything. And then what does he say later on in the verse? Not realizing. Y'all see that? So that little comment, not realizing, suggests that they have an assumption that's incorrect. They're deceived. Y'all see that? Not realizing. (laughs) You're the complete opposite i don't know about you guys and you know this is my greatest pet peeve which means it's probably something i need to figure out but someone who is like really lacks self-awareness is tough to hang out with right and we all do seeing you know it's hard to see ourselves which is why we need to invite people into our lives to help us see right we tend to overlook our blemishes don't we Maybe I'm the only one, but don't we tend to punish people hardcore and then for the same thing that we mess up in, but give ourselves a ton of grace? (laughs) 
Self-awareness. This church has no self-awareness. I mean, notice how far, notice the Grand Canyon width between who they think they are versus who Jesus says they are. They, they think they're rich and prosperous and they don't need nothing. And Jesus says, no, 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 you're wretched. You're pitiable. You're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. Oh my goodness. What a delusion. Jesus says, you're poor. And they reply, no, Jesus, we have financial, we have phenomenal banking institutions. Jesus says, you're poor. I said, no, we got money in the bank. Jesus says, you're naked. And they reply, have you seen our exclusive fashion? Y'all see the wool that we got? You see the coats that we're wearing? You see this blackish, purplish, that new sheen, you know what I'm saying? Like, we got it. People come from all over to get it from us. We're not naked. We're covered in designer fig leaves. <laughs> Jesus says, you're blind. <laughs> and they reply, we can see just fine. In fact, if there was a problem, we got a medical school with ointment that heals all kinds of eye ailments. Jesus, you're tripping. That must be the wrong letter. Can you imagine that? The minute they're reading, it's like, oh, that's, the right, that's not us. Mm, 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 mm. What a profound lack of spiritual self-awareness. Amen? It's, it, it saddens me. It really does to know that there are some listening right now who will walk away from this message unfazed, unmoved, and lukewarm. Right? It, 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 it really, as a pastor, I just really, it saddens me to know that there are going to be some who are listening. And you might be in this room listening, or you might be listening online, or you might be listening to the podcast several days later because you didn't make this service. No judgment. But it saddens me that there might be people who are going to listen to this message and walk away unmoved, unfazed, and lukewarm. That's how deep deception is. Can I talk about self-deception for a minute? It, listen, it excuses apathy. I, I'm too tired. I'm too overwhelmed to passionately pursue rhythms of life. It justifies complacency. I'm busy. I, I'm preoccupied. I, I got too much things going on to help build his church. It denies idolatry by continuing to prioritize money, career, travel, relationships, comfort, and pleasure as if those are life's most worthy pursuits. You feel that? You feel that? It excuses apathy. Is that any of us? It justifies complacency. It denies idolatry and it ignores repentance. And as a result, it lives in a false sense of spirituality. In order for you to be in this self-deception, you have to create your own theology. You know that? Like God forbid you actually get into the word and listen, you have to create, you compartmentalize and create this whole narrative of who God is and what his word says to justify your apathy, complacency, idolatry. 
My prayer for anyone who is lukewarm is that the scales would fall out of your eyes and that you'd be able to clearly see that you are not okay and that you are in desperate need of the spirits warming up or cooling down just as long as you don't stay tepid and lukewarm. Shake me. And finally, self-centered. It's kind of maybe the epitome of all of this, self-dependency, self-sufficiency, self-deception. Self-centered is really, the, is really the, the title of this church, the self-centered church. And maybe lukewarm means self-centered. Can I, can I show you something? I, I want to make sure you know that I'm not just like stretching this. I want you to see what I mean by self-centered. If we go down just a few verses to verse 20. Now, a lot of us, again, have been raised to think that this is an evangelistic. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, right? And, and I, don't get me wrong. It's a beautiful text and he does. But this isn't specifically being used for evangelism. I, I want you to see, Jesus says this. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him, eat with him, and he with me. Notice where Christ is. In order to be standing at the door and knocking, it means that he's on the outside looking in. Notice who Christ is speaking to, his church. Can you imagine coming home to your house, a house that you paid for, a house that you worked for, a house that you sacrificed for, your house, your property, your place, to find out there were others inside, maybe even your own children that you provided that house for, who had locked you out and refused to let you in. Jesus saying, behold, I sent at the door. And actually, the Greek here, the English is really nice. The Greek is he's pounding. This is a church. Jesus is not even in the building. What do I mean by self-centered? Think about it. When you center self, you push Jesus to the margin. Y'all get that? Think of the word self-centered. That means I, me, and my, what I want, my priorities, my desires, is the primary thing that I satisfy. And when I center self, I take Christ, who is supposed to be at the center, and I push him what? Out. And so Jesus is on the outside knocking to get back in. You can tell when a church has become lukewarm simply by the way they preach the word. For those of you in here, maybe Inspire Church is not your home church, or at some point you might leave this church, or you might look for other churches. You, you can tell a church is lukewarm. Just listen to the sermons. Listen to the preaching. Christ is no longer the central figure of the sermon. He merely plays a supporting role as you are made the hero and the star of the story. Lukewarm churches preach lukewarm sermons that are all about you. And the gospel, the good news of Christ dying to save sinners is exchanged for 20-minute TED Talks. I got, a, I got a timer right here. And it's kind of a joke. Well, Pastor, you know, Pastor Phil preaches. He preaches long. 
And I get it, and I'm not trying to keep you here all day, but man, where is our appetite for the word? Are we hungry? And is your rhythm of the scriptures during the week healthy? Because if it's not, then man, you should be here all day. It's the only time you eat. The gospel of Jesus Christ dying to save sinners in exchange for 20-minute TED Talks, motivational speeches, the power of positivity, and therapeutic gospel, prosperity gospel that attracts the masses but deceives everyone. You know, we do, church, and we do it, and, and it's, it's big. I don't want to say the American. It's such a generalization. There are faithful churches in America. But there are, because America is prosperous, we, we're tempted to fall into this, and, and, and it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. There are self-deceived churches that are preaching therapeutic and prosperity, attracting masses, deceiving everyone and deceiving themselves. You know what we do? We accessorize Christ. He's an accessory. He ain't the main thing. He's the, he's the thing that we put on to make us look better. I got a little accessory on. This says Philip and Jamil on it. A little black accessory. Just a slight touch. Some of you like to accessorize in here. I appreciate good accessories. That means you pay a little extra attention. You add that little touch. But it's a side thing. It ain't the main thing. It's only put on you to lift up and elevate the central thing. We accessorize Christ. Amen? And instead of boldly calling people to lay down their lives for the sake of God's redemptive purposes, people are encouraged at lukewarm churches to chase their goals, chase their dreams, chase your fantasies. That's what this world is for, right? I mean, after all, that's why we're here, right? We only have a short, short time. Like, it's not about laying your life down for the redemptive purposes of Christ. It's about you. It's about your goals, your dreams, your vision of the good life, your success, your careers, your money, your retirement. Isn't it? I mean, I'm, I'm in this. I fight this tension all the time. It's a heavy, deep temptation. And I know if I get consumed by it and I'm a pastor, you have to be touched by it as members. And we pass it on to our kids. Budgets, calendars, priority. Amen? Amen. It stings. But I don't want anyone to ever open up a letter from Jesus to inspire and say, we nauseate God. Something fascinating for us Bible nerds in the building. I don't know if there are any in here. I am. Um, I don't know if you caught this early on, but the city Colossae was 11 miles away. There's the ones that had um, cool mountain spring water. Uh, Colossae, what, you might have heard that name before because the apostle Paul wrote a letter to the Colossians, to the church in Coloss. And if you remember, he, he writes this letter, and in this letter, he specifically tells them in the letter to the Colossians, he says, Oh, share this letter with the Laodiceans too. So here we have Revelation. Jesus is writing to the Laodicean church. So we only get a little bit, but then we can go back and realize, oh wait, Paul wrote to the Colossians, which were 11 miles away. 
and also said in his letter, read this to the Laodiceans too. So we can go to the Colossians, read that letter and find out maybe a little something about the Laodicean church. Are you with me? So why did Paul write the letter to the Colossians? I don't know if you know or not, but Paul writes and in his letter, he defends the deity of Christ because the Colossian church had started to allow false teachers to infiltrate and teach that Jesus was just a man. He was not God. So it's very possible 11 miles away, the Laodicean church had allowed that same heresy to enter in. And because they were full of themselves and in no need of God, they started to preach, teach, and believe that Jesus was just a man. When you enlarge self, you belittle God. Jesus becomes something that's underneath you to lift you up not above you to be worshiped as king. <laughs> I think all of us in this room would not deny the deity of Jesus, I think. There might be someone here who you, maybe you're Jehovah's Witness, right? There are certain people that do that. But I think most of us in this room would not deny the deity of Jesus. And so you're like, well, that's not me. You may not deny it in doctrine, but what about deed? Many of us are functional atheists. That's what lukewarm is. We're not atheists by declaration, but our budgets and our calendars and our priorities are all about self. Sometimes like, you know what, God, you know, I don't know if you, I, I thank God for being born in America. <laughs> Man, God, like I could have been at any, think about it, any time in history, any place in the world and if you've ever, some of you are from other places and you thank God for being here. You recognize the prosperity here, right? You recognize the opportunity here. Sure, America has its stains and we know about it. But what I am saying is this has been a place for many of you, all of you, at some, to be blessed financially, to be blessed. And when you go and visit other places, you recognize that. Am I right? Am I, am I stepping over the line here? Would you agree with that? And I thank God for that. But at the end of the day, I also think, man... I wonder if the self-deception and self-centeredness because of my wealthy reality, because of my affluence here in America has caused me to become more lukewarm than I know. And I wonder if I was born in a place in a space that had nothing and I only had Jesus. I wonder how much that would change my passion and my desperation, my priority, my calendar, my schedule, my but Y'all hear me. I, I'm not, I, you, I do not want to be a legalistic, religious, manipulating pastor, but I do want the word. And if we believe this to be true, and we believe that there's a God in heaven, there's a Christ who died for us, and that there's really eternity, we really have to look at how we're living. There are many in here, you may not deny the deity of Christ in doctrine but in your deed and your activity maybe he's not really lord of all amen we're going to finish uh invite team to come up what does jesus say to this lukewarm church you know, it's really interesting. Did you guys catch this? He says, I counsel you to buy from me. Those are really weird words. 
Like Jesus, he commands. Jesus doesn't, you know, I, hey, I, you guys probably, I would advise you. Isn't that weird for Jesus to say, I counsel you? Like, I'm used to just saying, repent, <laughs> you know, like, uh, get, you know, move away, grow this way, get holy, follow me, whatever. But Jesus, I counsel you, or I advise you, fascinating. And then he says, buy from me, which really weird because Jesus died and gave things to you for free. Yeah. <laughs> so he's using their language, right? right? To this church that is so full, uh, you know, to this capitalistic church, you know what I mean? To this church in a world where the economy is booming and we're buying and selling and bartering and talking that language. Jesus says, I advise you. Almost like Jesus becomes a spiritual financial advisor. He says, I counsel you to buy from me. And he says three things. He says, I counsel to buy from me. He says, gold refined in fire. He says, ointment for your eyes. Y'all remember? You think this church knew exactly what he was saying? And he says, white garments to clothe your nakedness. Notice he said white garments. Ointments for your eyes. You know, you can't repent of what you can't see. Amen? You know, James tells us the, this, the word of God is like a mirror. And the law of God is good. And as we read or as it's proclaimed and declared, it may hurt, it may sting, but a mirror is raised up and all of a sudden we're able to see all of our imperfections. I counsel you to buy ointment for your eyes. You are blind. You are blind and you cannot repent of what you cannot see. Jesus offers healing for their self-deception so that they may see clearly, so that they may go from saying, I need nothing to I need Jesus. He says, I counsel you to buy white garments for their nakedness <laughs> to a fashionable community, right? Dressed in dark coats. Jesus offers to cover the shame of their sin with robes of righteousness that have been dipped in his blood. And I love this. He says, and I counsel you to buy gold refined in fire. Like gold is good enough. You know what I mean? Like when you hear the word gold, like I'll take that gold. But he says, I'm not just going to give you any gold, but I'm going to give you gold that's been burnt. Why is gold burnt? Because when gold is mined out, there are imperfections, impurities, and so it's placed over the fire, and as the gold is burned by the fires, it's refined, and the impurities surface, and then the gold master begins to pick the impurities out so that the end of it, what's left is solid, pure, undefiled gold. Jesus offers them new life. New living, right living, righteous living, sanctification, holiness. He offers fires that burn away the impurities of sin and imperfection. And he promises to make them shine as pure gold. And to those who overcome, he says, you'll sit with me on my throne. You'll sit with me on my throne. I'm finished. How, how did Jesus gain the throne? 
Think about this. How, how was he exalted in Scripture? Well, first of all, he's God from the beginning. But he left. He, he emptied himself and came down and took on flesh. Humbled himself. Philippians 2. And what, what does Philippians 2 tell us? Because he humbled himself to death, God what? Exalted him. That at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow. That he is king, that he is Lord. Christ gained the throne by humbling himself to death. And he says, and to those who conquer and to overcome, the throne that I gained through death and humility, you share with me. To a church with everything, but had nothing. Remember two weeks ago, there was a church with nothing, but had everything. To the church with everything, but had nothing, Jesus invites them to buy from him ointment for your blind eyes, gold refined in fire, and white garments, the robes of righteousness dipped in the blood of Jesus. That's the invitation to buy, to barter with our Savior. Can you just take a moment to respond in your heart? We're going to sing gently. We're going to pray. But could you, just for one last moment, allow this word to pierce what needs to be pierced for the honor and glory of Jesus. Amen? Let's take a moment. Make an altar with your Savior right where you're at. And let's respond to him.